more people every day are ditching animal products, embracing plant-based foods, and speaking up for what matters. With my experience as an international instructor for vegan nutrition and an award-winning author, I interview experts, innovators, and celebrities about the global movement towards a plant-based future. Do you want to learn how to combat the injustice in our food system affecting your health, the animals, and the planet? Well, you're in the right place. It all starts here with eating like you give a damn. Welcome to the Eating Like You Give a Damn podcast, the place to discover your passion for plant-based living one bite at a time. I'm your host, Stephanie Harder. Over the past four years, the term vegan has regularly hit the headlines in such a positive way. From Beyonce praising the health benefits of veganism in 2015 on Good Morning America, to the innovative car company Tesla announcing in 2017 its advancement towards a 100% vegan interior for all their car models, to Burger King, McDonald's, and KFC rolling out plant-based alternatives to their flagship meat-based offerings throughout 2019. Sustainable and cruelty-free choices to just about everything you can think of have popped up around the world, and large meat-based corporations have taken notice of the rising demand and are investing big money into meatless innovations. And who better to give us the scoop on all things vegan in the media than award-winning journalist and PR consultant, the magnificent Katrina Fox. Katrina Fox is the founder of VeganBusinessMedia.com, host of the Vegan Business Talk podcast, and author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. She has written extensively for niche and mainstream media for 17 years on animal advocacy and ethical business, and was even a regular Forbes contributor specializing in writing about vegan and plant-based businesses. Katrina lives in Sydney, Australia, and during our interview, we talk about Katrina's 80-20 rule for sharing the vegan message in the way a business would when marketing to a mainstream audience and how to determine when to use the terms plant-based or vegan. Whether or not there is such thing as objectivity in journalism, and I know you'll be stunned to hear Katrina's answer to that, and what changes that she is seeing in the global marketplace for plant-based foods today, and how it will impact our future. Plus, Katrina talks about how she helps vegan business owners in approaching the media the right way to maximize opportunities for free publicity. So if you're thinking of getting publicity for your vegan venture, be sure to listen to the end for that. Before we sink our teeth into Katrina's expertise, I want to talk to the health coaches who are listening. According to Metadata, health coaching has emerged as a $6 billion service market with a strong growth outlook. With the rise in awareness about the impacts of our food choices, Plant-based health and wellness coaches are in high demand. The problem is that many coaches don't know how to set up an online program that attracts the clients who are looking for their services to overcome a major life or health challenge. So I decided to create a group where plant-based coaches can learn how to serve more people online and build a business they love. 
Go to eatinglikeyougiveadam.com forward slash coaching to learn more. And now, on with what all the vegan buzz is about. Here's my chat with Katrina Fox. Miss Katrina Fox, welcome to the show, my love. How are you? Hey, Stephanie. I'm very well and I'm delighted to be on your show. Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, I, it is a super delight for me because I've been following you for quite some time. You're one of my heroes, actually, as far Aww. as your work with entrepreneurs and other business owners that are in the plant-based and vegan space. So I'm really, really excited to have you here. So thank you for all you do, by the way. Thank you. And likewise. <laughs> So tell us a little bit about your background, like what kind of food did you grow up on and when did you have this moment of realization that ah, I don't want to eat this anymore? Yeah, sure. So I'm from the UK, um, although I live in Sydney, Australia. I've been living here for a while, but I'm actually from the UK. So I grew up in a very working class family uh, in a council flat in uh, or apartment for the Americans um, in the UK. And so we were eating, I mean, certainly not healthy kinds of food, things like, you know, fish fingers and mashed potatoes and, um, you know, kind of not terribly healthy things um, like that. And um, it's when I was actually 11, I asked my mum, I said, look, where does the beef burger come from that we eat? And she said, oh, it comes from a cow. And I said, oh, what do you mean it comes from a cow? And she said, oh, it was once a cow. And once I joined the dots, aged 11, that, you know, what I was eating was once this beautiful, uh, you know, being, this beautiful animal, because I'd always had an affinity with animals, even though I didn't grow up in the country. Every summer I would go down for a few weeks to stay with my cousin um, in the country. And so I would see cows in fields and I'd go up and talk to them and get them apples. So I was horrified when I found out that the beef burger was once this living um, animal. So I said, well, I'm not eating it anymore. And of course, then I made the, the connection, oh, the fish fingers were eating a fish. The chicken we have on Sunday, it's actually this bird, this live bird. And I was just like, it was awful. I was very traumatized. So I said to my mom, I said, I'm not eating animals again. Of course, that didn't go down very well. Because remember, this was a long long time ago um and you know i was like oh we've got three months and i'm not eating it so then she switched to giving me things like cheese pancake type things and these are all stuff that you buy like from the store so this is like you know you buy it frozen and you heat it up kind of thing the only things that you know like vegetables were mostly from tins that we hate apart from the mashed potatoes um so you know she and then on a sunday she insisted on putting chicken on my plate which i wouldn't eat but we had a cat at the time my lovely cat kitty so i would just like literally feed him he'd get his own portion of chicken and then he'd get mine so he was happy oh um, he must have loved you he you was must have been delighted the absolutely <laughs> he was delighted so it didn't really kind of go down very well but I stuck to my guns even at a, a young age um, it took me a while to become vegan though because I think we're, as many of us we are all taken in by the multi-billion dollar um, advertising from the animal agriculture industry. So I just thought, oh, well, dairy, you know, there's nothing cruel about that. You know, the cow doesn't die. And, oh, yes, happy cows in fields and where we're meant to eat milk and all of that kind of thing. So I didn't go vegan until um, many years later, 22 years ago. Um, I actually was on an, an animal rights protest as a vivisection um, uh, demo and I was on a coach trip with a group called London Animal Action at the time and I was sitting next to a school teacher called Kay who was absolutely lovely and I pulled out my sandwich which was a, a marmite and cheese sandwich I said would you like one and she said oh no she said, I'm, um, I'm vegan 
And I said, oh, I said, the cheese is animal free. Like, you know, it's vegetarian cheese. It's animal free rennet. I was you know, really pleased with myself thinking, you know, I'm doing, you know, doing really well on the animal rights front. And then she explained about the dairy. Because I said, what's a vegan? She started to explain about the cruelty involved in the dairy industry, you know, that mother's babies are taken away from them, you know, that they spend their lives just, you know, being kept pregnant, perpetually pregnant and giving them birth. Um, and then, yeah, as I said, the baby's taken away. And I was just like the penny dropped again. So I had that same sort of experience, except I think I beat myself up a bit more because I was an adult and I'd been doing animal rights activism because um, I went vegan in 97, but I'd been doing animal activism on and off um, from around about 1987. So I thought, how did I miss this? You know, I was outside McDonald's and outside vivisection as I thought how did I miss this you know I was wearing leather because I thought oh well it's a byproduct you know the animal's not dying specifically for the leather which I now know of course not to be true as well but I was so I was kind of like how could I not know that I was like how can I be so stupid so I kind of did that for a little while and I felt guilty uh, but I pretty much so I was one of those people that pretty much went vegan overnight so I came back from that demo came home to my wife Tracy and I said right I said, I'm now vegan. I said, I'm not eating any cheese. This is why. And she was just like, what? Because <laughs> like at the time she had a house in France and we would go down there. We'd go to France and of course France is known for its cheese. So then I had to like try and find vegan cheese. Now, if you're listening to this nowadays, you have got it really, really lucky. Believe me, there is such really a variety good. of amazing vegan cheeses. Back 22 years ago, not so much. Most of the vegan cheeses, what little there were, tasted like rubber. Um, so every time I'd go to the shop and I'd bring back some cheese and Tracy and I would taste it and we'd be bitterly disappointed. Um, but, you know, we, I, I guess for me, because it was an ethical thing. So the health benefits I had no idea of for a few years, I will admit I was a junk food vegan. So I just replaced whatever I was eating as a vegetarian. So pizza, no cheese at the time. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, you can get vegan cheese on pizza and everything but back then you couldn't um i was like right can i eat like jammy dodgers they were my favorite biscuit you know and i was like right are they vegan yes great i can eat those these ones chocolate wherever they are no not those have to switch out so i was just looking for vegan versions of the junk food that i was eating sure. um and it was really difficult back then but i guess for me because it was an ethical thing one of my favorite chocolate bars was called a Twix, a British Twix. And I remember like going to buy petrol or gas, you call it in America. And they would have the, you know, the confectionery right at the, the till, you know, as you're paying because they want you oh, to yeah, only pay petrol. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and there'll be a Twix. And I remember getting, thinking, oh, I really want a Twix. But what I did in my mind, and this might be helpful for people you know, listening, um, is that instead of seeing the Twix as that, you know, thing that gives you comfort that's so delicious and amazing. When I looked at it, I saw a cow, heavily pregnant cow, mooing in grief with her baby being taken away. Plus, I found out that obviously dairy has a certain amount of infected pus and blood in it. So with all that combined, the Twix, do you know what I mean? It suddenly, it was like, I'm not just buying a chocolate bar to give me instant gratification. This is what it represents. So that, you know, there was no way I, I caved or anything. So, um, and then after a while, it becomes kind of automatic. Um, so whenever I see something that's not, ve you know, obviously not vegan, you know, I have, even no matter how delicious it is um, or how delicious it might look, I immediately in my mind see behind it um, and what's really there. And that way I'm kind of like, no, and I don't feel I'm missing out. Do you, do you see what I mean? Um, so yeah, that's kind of basically my vegan story. So I pretty much went vegan overnight. Yes, it took a little while to 
replace the shoes, um, you know, but I, we pretty much, and then, and trade, I was quite lucky actually, because I know for people who've got families, it might not be as easy because, but um, Tracy, my partner, she was pretty much on board straight away. So she was a bit frustrated about the cheese as we both were, but she got it. And once I explained to her, the only thing was she was kind of concerned um, because she thought, oh, you know, where are we going to get our protein? Where are we going to get all our vitamins and our minerals? Once she started to do research, she came back, she went, she said, you know what, should this vegan thing, she said, it's actually really good for your health. And of course, it wasn't the time because, you know, I wasn't eating, you know, terribly healthy. So then I kind of was like, oh, really? So then we started to eat a lot more healthily. And um, so she, so I kind of converted her to veganism, but mm. she helped to bring me onto a more, you know, to include more healthy things. I mean, don't get me wrong, I will still enjoy a vegan pizza or a vegan chocolate as a treat. But back then it was like, I've got to have vegan chocolate every day. I went to my health food shop, ironically, the health, local health food store. And I got the guy, I found this amazing chocolate by England's, it's actually the UK's, I think, oldest um, vegan company. They were the first people to make soy milk called Plamel. Um, and I think they've rebranded now to So Free. They're an amazing company. And they had this lovely bar of chocolate that tasted like this other brand that I used to like that was dairy-based. So I went to my health food shop and I would say, right, can you get, you know, a block of six of these? And then I'd go back, you know, two days later and I'd go, oh, can you get me some more? And he'd go, oh, he said, are you having a party? And I said, no, they're for me. And I think that <laughs> kind of planted the seed that maybe I've got a little bit of a problem. It was almost like he was my dealer, you know, with my, <laughs> in my, in my vegan chocolate. I'm like, I need my fix, get me some more. Um, so, yeah, so Tracy helped to kind of, um, yeah, bring me on to, you know, the, the, the health side of things and that things like the chocolate and the pizza are a nice treat, but I'm not not going to be eating them every single day and you know started to eat more healthy you know fruit and veg and everything but sure. for me the health and the environment were bonuses um which is great but for me it's always been um yeah from an ethical side for for the animals not to participate in in animal exploitation you know not to give money to, to companies that are, are funding animal cruelty and uh, exploitation so yeah that's my the vegan story. <laughs> right, absolutely. And I think so many people that are listening can absolutely relate to that because at some point uh, along the line of their journey, you know, they're, they're, you know, maybe they've just started to open their minds to eating plant-based because mm -hmm. of the health uh, promotion of that. Um, you know, and others are coming, coming to that side more on the ethical side, but it's, it's, it is definitely a process of learning a little bit at a time. And I know that some of us, you know, can, can probably make an easy transition overnight. Others, you know, not so much. Like you yeah. said, they have families and other people in their lives to consider other, um, you know, things that are kind of going on in their environment to consider. So, but anybody that makes the decision to start heading in that direction is such a beautiful thing. And I love celebrating that when I hear, oh, you know, some yeah. spark comes on, you know, and they start to move in that direction. Definitely. I mean, I see, because I spend a lot of time at the computer. So once a month, I, or once a month to once every two months, I see a chiropractor just to kind of, you know, do some adjustments and, you know, make sure that, you know, like a maintenance thing. So I've got healthy back. And whenever I go there, like I never initiate the conversation. I mean, I told when I had my first appointment, I said, I'm vegan. So he knows that every time I go, he asks questions about veganism, about plant-based eating. And I'm just really, you know, nice and friendly and just sort of explain things. And so then he says to me a few weeks ago, he said, oh, my wife and I are having a vegan night once a week and we are loving it. When I went back just a couple of weeks ago, he said, we're up to two nights now. He said, and actually, he said, I don't want to eat eggs anymore. He said, I think I'm a pescatarian. I was like, oh, wonderful. He said, what do you think about that? I said, it's fabulous. 
this. I said, it's, you're on your way. I said, it's, it's not the destination. I said, think of it as a train journey. Vegan is the destination, but you yeah. know, you can get off at these stops, have a little look around and then you get back on. And he laughed and he was like, yeah, great. And so I was given, I went to a launch, I was invited to a launch recently of these, um, you know, like beyond meat has got their, uh, beyond burgers and, um, beyond sausages well there's an Australian company that's done something similar so producing very realistic uh you know um plant-based meats and burgers and they gave us some to take away and I've got them in the freezer and every time I open the freezer because they look so realistic for a split second my brain goes what's going on there's dead animal parts in my freezer and then I remember what it is so I'm actually giving them to him so I've said to him have you got a freezer here at the the chiropractic office and he said yes so next time I see him I'm taking him those because it makes it exciting he's really you know he's looking forward to it and he said they're just loving experimenting with it and he said I'm really starting to get it um, and I, I think that's because not I'm not going to put it just down to me but I think it's because you know I'm not being judgmental I'm not being critical I'm encouraging him because that's how Kay the school teacher was with me like when I you know when she explained to me what like when I pulled my sandwich out on an animal I was full of on a coach full of animal rights people and you know I pull out a you know a sandwich with dairy cheese in it you know she could have got how dare you bring that onto you know the the bus, you know, on an animal rights demo, but she was so nice. And, you know, I asked questions and she was, and I watched her as well. She was a really good advocate for animal rights. I mean, some of us were like, you know, with our, you know, placards going, you know, yelling, you know, because something quite cathartic about that. But I noticed Kay would always chat to people and give them leaflets, maybe because she was a school teacher. She had really good communication skills. Remember, this was 22 years ago. Hopefully I have now as well. Um, but uh, she was really good. And I just think that was really important. So I try as much as possible. I might not get it right all the time, but I try to kind of model that and remember what it was like. Because I think the longer that you're vegan, particularly if you're an ethical vegan and you're into animal rights, like I am, mm-hmm. Sometimes you can forget how it was for you, um, you know, kind of back then. So, yeah, so I'm just, I'm always happy when people are taking those steps. I mean, I do always, like I say, I always do say, look, vegan is the destination, but, you know, however you get there, and obviously the quicker they get there, the better, to be perfectly honest. Um, But, you know, yeah, just try it. And um, what I'm loving now is, what's been happening in terms of vegan food in particular, but we're now starting to see with fashion and other areas and cosmetics and skincare, but particularly with food, you know, people don't have to give up their favorite food. So for people listening to this, please don't think of veganism or plant-based eating as a sacrifice for what you can't eat. Uh, Really embrace what you can do. I can honestly say that 22 years later, it was one of the best things I've ever done. If I had my time over again, I always say, you know, no regrets and what have you, but I would... I, I would have loved to have been born vegan. I love the fact that there are now children being born vegan. I mean, that is just so amazing. And of course, you know, I don't blame my parents. They just, you know, they were taken in by, you know, as say all the advertising and everything. But uh, just be really glad that you found you found out about this. You can be so creative, and also. You don't, I think this is really important. You don't have to be a whiz in the kitchen. I'm virtually allergic to kitchens. I do not enjoy, <laughs> I, know, I do not enjoy 
making or uh, food. I will make our breakfast, which is a fresh fruit smoothie, and then I make us a salad for lunch. In the evenings, I, the, the only thing I will probably put myself out to do is boil some pasta and then put some sauce on that's from a store. Uh, yeah. That's it. I do not want to spend my time or my energy making food. So I'm a really good lunch and dinner guest because then I get to have something <laughs> exciting and interesting. And obviously sometimes I eat out and what have you. Um, but you don't have to be uh, a whiz in the kitchen. Of course, if you do enjoy And now, of course, you can get plant-based meal delivery services. I think they're certainly available in the US, Australia, in the UK. Um, yes. Maybe some of available in other countries so there you can get healthy tasty plant-based foods delivered to you like a week's worth whatever delivered to your door and all you've got to do is like heat it up or open it up and eat it so don't think that you know suddenly you have to become you know an amazing plant-based chef of course if you do enjoy making and preparing foods then you know, look at it as a, a nice little challenge and how creative you can be. I think what we're finding now as well with chefs in the past, professional chefs would be very dismissive of, of even vegetarian, never mind vegan, they'd be like, oh, no, no, no. Whereas now, you know, they're finding, oh, you know, it's actually helping them to be more creative, you know, to do mm -hmm. amazing things with vegetables to create tastes. And now, of course, there's the plant-based meats that can be thrown into the mix as well for those that want to do it. So I think we've seen a big shift in um, how people perceive um, plant-based foods and, and vegan um, eating, which is really exciting. I mean, it, it, I never thought in my lifetime that I would be cool and trendy, but apparently I am because I'm vegan. You are very cool and trendy, <laughs> oh, right? Not, I love disco. I'm like, I'm not... <laughs> no, yeah. it is definitely an interesting thing to see how how this. Um, yeah, because I know for me, I'm coming up on my what I would call like my 10 year veganiversary. Wonderful. You know, when I started Wonderful. seeing through the vegan lens and started, you know, making those adjustments along the way and. Um, back then, uh, really, there weren't as many options available even then. So I mean, like, you know, yeah. for, for others who have been doing this since like, you know, since it became more popular, I would say, you know, it's am amazing to see all of the different options that are available today and just Definitely. how incredible that they've gotten. So absolutely lucky, especially on the milks front as well. I mean, I used oh, to go yes. to Sainsbury's, which is a big supermarket chain in the UK when I was there. And the only choice of non-dairy milk with soya milk sweetened with apple juice or soya milk unsweetened that was it and now of course you go to any pretty much any main even mainstream supermarkets you've got you know almond milk and cashew milk and rice milk and macadamia but like you know pea there was this is i think made from pea protein now because i was in new york recently so of course i tried some of the brands that haven't yet made it here where i'm living in in sydney and i, I tasted oh, one from pea protein which was so creamy apparently that it was called something called half and half i've never heard of this thing called half and half so i poured it on i had some cereal while i was in new York I was eating slightly differently and I poured it on some cereal I thought this is lovely and creamy and then my friend said you're not supposed to put it on cereal you meant to put half and half in tea or coffee I was like I don't care but it was so creamy I was like oh my gosh you know this is, so yeah it's there's so much variety now and and we're going to see that continue you know I work in the the vegan uh, business world and you know we this is just taking off um not with some of the large multinational corporations getting on board now and either investing in vegan companies or bringing out their own plant-based versions of things. That's unprecedented. We've never seen 
this happen. And it's right. making these foods in particular, uh, you know, available and accessible both. And I think what we need to, it needs to be financial accessibly so people can afford it, but also um, accessible so people can get it when they're doing their monthly or their weekly shop at their supermarket or their, you know, their big store that those products are readily available. So we're still in the boom and I don't think it's going anywhere. So it's a very exciting time to be vegan and to be eating plant-based. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm sure because, I mean, you, you being a part of the media, I mean, you probably just know all these different companies that are, you know, jumping on board. So we have even like, you know, um, Unilever, uh, Tyson Foods. I yeah. mean, we have Nestle, all of which is very Nestle, controversial. Yes. <laughs> very, very, very. So I know that you're probably seeing a lot of that being reported on. What's the general feeling around that in the mainstream media? You know, the question is, well, is that a good thing? You know, because is it putting smaller vegan businesses out of it and there's all these kind of arguments and we really don't know the answer because this has never happened before so mm -hmm. obviously you know we're hoping that these companies will see oh people want ethical products you know they want products that are animal free they want products that are ethically made and not abusing human rights and as sustainable as possible and if people are buying that and they're making a profit from that I mean one argument is they could put the profits back into the animal side of things to prop that up or it's kind of like oh well people want these ethical products this is where our sales are going let's invest more and more into this and less and less into animal ag and obviously you know my uh, from my perspective I want them to then do what Elmhurst um, dare, uh, a dairy company did in uh, New York and to, to actually ditch the animal uh, products altogether and focus 100% yes. on the plant-based so obviously if the multinationals could do that and of course you know bring in the human rights and environmental side of things as well um, sure. I mean that would be a whole new way of doing business and we would be really exciting in terms of mainstream media response mainstream media has been pretty positive in regards to a lot of these big multinational corporations. Now that could be because they're big advertisers. Um, so, uh, but I think they're just, they're reporting on the trends. I think mm. when it comes to the food side of things, we're seeing quite positive media. We're seeing very positive media. I think what's happened is we've seen social media has come up, uh, you know, showing, you know, food, vegan food, breaking down the myths of, uh, you know, vegan food. So we're seeing amazing decadent chocolate gatto, for example. So yes. I think vegan food is starting to be seen as not just, you know, a bit of salad and lemon and there's nothing wrong with salad and lentils. I have a salad every day for my lunch, but uh, you know, it's more than that. So I think we've got a lot of myths to break down. So I think in terms of that side of things, mainstream media has been very positive. Where I think we're continuing to see a mix of reporting is where is around uh, veganism in terms of you know ethical veganism and animal rights. Um, you know, here in Australia, we've had big protests and there was some mixed media. Initially, there was some negative media. I managed right. to get some positive sides. So it was very kind of mixed along those lines. Um, you know, the, in Australia, they've just brought in a new law where activists could be fined up to $400,000 if they go onto a property and record animal abuse. So I think animal ag is feeling very threatened. There's two sides of animal ag. There's the companies like Tyson, like you mentioned, Mm -hmm. that can see what's happening. They can see where consumer demand's going. They can see that, you know, de global demand for meat is unsustainable. So what they do, they've actually rebranded themselves as a protein company. So they're really getting in on it. They invested in Beyond Meat. They've now brought out their own plant-based burgers. So they've rebranded as a protein company. They, they recognize what's going on and they're getting on board with it. Then you've got other, um, you know, uh, companies, other organizations or other parts of the industry that are feeling very, very threatened by this 
rise in plant-based foods. We've seen um, laws that are due to come in in places like Arkansas, Missouri, Mississippi, Mississippi, um, <laughs> where you know some of the, the plant-based foods association are. Um, uh, putting on legal challenges because what the these states are trying to do is say that you can't use meat-based terms such as burger or sausage or butter or cheese on products unless they come from an animal even if you've got the word vegan after it so I think they're kind of the old guard they're trying to hang on to you know what's what's always been um, and then the, the, there are the mainstream or the multinationals that are are more progressive so I think in the area of vegan business um, a vegan and food I think mainstream media overall is being pretty positive which is is really quite exciting um, yeah. at the launch I went to that I mentioned recently at the Australian um, uh, alternative meat company that are similar to Beyond Meat in that they've produced these very realistic burgers and sausages there are a lot of mainstream media there and I was talking to them and like some of them you know are like just big meat eaters but they were saying like I'm really surprised by this like they said if this was a taste test I wouldn't have known the difference and I'm really surprised so I think when they're when they're open-minded the journalists um, then I, I think that the coverage can be positive obviously what we've got to remember is that mainstream media is run by publishers and they're obviously their editorial staff and those editorial staff and, and publishers may have vested interests. The publishers, for example, may also be invested in animal ag. So, you know, they're making their money. Journalists might have a family that's a dairy farmer. You know, they might, so right. there's all, there are in those inherent biases and, you know, in mainstream media, you know, the way we were, were taught is that, you know, when you're certainly when you're reporting a news story, like not an opinion piece or, or even a feature necessarily, but certainly when reporting the news, you're meant to have this person's side, then the other person's side, so it's nice and balanced. But for me, I've always said that, and I think I've even written about this, there's no such thing really as objectivity in journalism um, because even the types of stories that the editors or the producers uh, choose to run, you know, there's already... Um, you know, uh, biases that are informing those decisions. Um, it, uh, that's even before deciding what to include in the piece. Um, so there, there's certainly that to be aware of. And obviously we've seen massive changes in mainstream media in particular with the rise of social media, with blogging, with podcasters. Um, so that uh, mainstream media has kind of been trying to figure out what's happening, where's our place in this. We've seen, you know, really well-known mastheads close down, either close down altogether or close down their print side of things and focus on, on online only. So I think they're kind of scrabbling a bit. So obviously when, you know, the dairy industry, for example, comes along and says, hey, we want to spend, you know, a, a couple of million, a few million or, you know, a few hundred thousand with you, um, you know, that's, I think you, you can't say, well, that's not going to influence the editorial. Um, and even if the editorial department says, oh, no, we're not influenced by that. It's not the case. Um, because without, you know, some of those industries, they, they, you know, their ad revenue can go down and they might not exist. But we are seeing some change. You know, we're seeing, I think there's a, an ad out for Aldi, which is an international supermarket chain for Veganuary, basically encouraging families to go vegan for in January for Veganuary and saying you know you can buy your products in our stores so I think we're certainly we're seeing some uh, chipping away um, and uh, it's yeah it's pretty exciting as I say some of the old guard are like I say they're 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 really being threatened but I think that shows how far we've come because why bother like we've had vegan sausages burgers 
for a forever like since certainly since I've been vegan and probably before that but it's only now that the industries are going oh no you can't call that meat or big because they can see that okay these are next the level these are yeah exactly and people are, are just they're becoming more informed and they're they're wanting these products so um yeah I think it's exciting times for sure yeah it definitely is exciting times I mean for animals for you know the sustainability of our planet and certainly you know as far as uh, individual health is concerned. Now, as far as the, not just the big companies that are responding in their different ways, you know, whether they're feeling very threatened and they're trying to kind of, you know, get a piece of the pie, so to speak, by making sure they have their non-dairy and their egg-free yeah. and their, you know, their meat-free versions of whatever. But what about like the, uh, the dairy farmers and the cattle ranchers and the ones that their livelihood is, has been built, you know, from generations just handed down and that's all they know as a business. Um, I know you touched a little bit on a specific farm that actually has made the conversion. Can you elaborate a little bit more on maybe what these, you know, what, what to expect for these dairy farmers and these cattle ranchers? Yeah, sure. I think it's an important issue. And I'm glad you've asked that question because I think there's this misnomer. I was quoted recently in the, the media on this it, when there were these big animal rights protests um, in, in Australia is that the media will often pit animal activists versus far animal farmers. Um, and I think that's not a smart thing to do because as animal activists, we don't want, well, look, we don't want you to be in that job, but we don't want you to be out of a job. You know, we don't want animal activists, uh, sorry, we don't want animal-based farmers to, you know, be jobless and homeless so they can't provide for their families. But what we're saying is we want to get you out of that industry. We want to close the slaughterhouses. No one should have to work in a slaughterhouse, you know, and kill for a living. I mean, it's just horrifying. And there are so many, there's been studies to show that people that work in slaughterhouses have higher rates of PTSD, domestic violence, because of course, why wouldn't they so what we we really need and i've said this quite a lot and i'll, I'll happy to say it again on your show is that we need both the support of business and also governments to work with animal-based farmers to help them transition out of those industries into plant-based um, industries um, we need to see the stopping of the subsidies the reason that and a lot of people complain so why is plant-based why is vegan meats for example why are they more expensive than you know standard beef etc it's because of the subsidies um, and obviously it's different with country to country but I think in you know a lot of particularly the western countries the meat and the dairy the egg industries um, they are subsidized by government so of course they can be cheaper so I think what we need to see is subsidies uh, being put into plant-based uh, ethical businesses and to provide help to those animal-based farmers to help transition them out so they can continue to make money uh, and provide for their families, which is ultimately what they want. Um, but like you say, it's that when tradition, you know, it's been handed out, it can be hard for people to embrace change. But I think we have to. I mean, there's a new documentary coming out by um, Jane Velez Mitchell from Jane Unchained called... Um, countdown to year zero and it's basically about look you know we don't have a lot of time to sit around umming and ahhing about this you know the planet is in da serious danger we as humans who are supposedly the superior species we're so not um you know are destroying the very organism that we live on we can't afford to mess around and uh, we have to do something different but i'm not saying that yeah we should just abandon farmers and say well tough you know but there absolutely needs to be some support for those um, animal-based farmers some of them can do it off, the, on, off their own 
back, like Elmhurst, for example, they saw the light and decided to, you know, to do that themselves. And uh, as far as I'm, I know they're doing well and, it, you know, they're very happy that they made that decision. But others, of course, are going to need um, support from government. So I think that's something that's really important and we need to get onto that as soon as yeah. possible. And it seems like there's probably a lot of uh, challenge with that, right? Because we know that a lot of these big corporations, they're in bed with the governments. You know, there's a lot of money involved in, you know, making sure that consumers are unaware of what's going on in animal agriculture, mm. you know, because when consumers know better, then they obviously make these different choices. So, yeah, so it's very, very cool to see right here and now that because of social media, uh, you know, and because the media doesn't always report on these things, but because mm. of social media and, you know, the brave work of the whistleblowers and the activists that are out there on the front lines and getting this information to people. Yeah, it's amazing to see like how vegan is cool and trendy now. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. I mean, I think we have to be a little bit, because sometimes veganism and plant-based eating are, are intertwined and they are quite mm -hmm. different because veganism is a philosophy of doing the least harm as is practically possible and not you know, supporting animal commodification, exploitation, etc., and, you know, and that um, animals have rights to, you know, live freely without our interference. And then there's plant-based eating, which can come from a health perspective um, or even from an environmental um, perspective. Um, mm -hmm. So they are kind of slightly differently, uh, slightly different. Um, we're certainly seeing, um, you know, the positivity around plant-based eating. I think in terms of animal rights and speciesism, um, it kind of, it seems to kind of come back and forth. Um, you know, sometimes you'll see some really good pieces around speciesism and, uh, you know, human supremacy not being, um, you know, the case. But um, and other times, you know, animal activists are still being portrayed as, you know, kind of radical, unwashed hippie types. Um, so it's, it's sometimes it feels like, you know, one step forward, two steps back. But, you know, change, I think, you know, particularly, you know, massive change on, on that kind of scale. It, it, it does take time. Um, you know, it can be slow because the you know, there are people, like we said, with vested interests who are terrified of change. And I think as human beings, we, we kind of are, you know, once sometimes we just kind of are happy just going along with what we know. And that fear of the unknown, uh, you know, can be terrifying to, to some. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, so I, I think we have to try and be compassionate around that. Yet at the same time, say, look, change is coming. It's coming anyway. You know, the planet is literally being destroyed. We can either, you know, go, okay, let's get ahead of this and create change that can be positive for all of us or we just sit back and watch the train and you know be hit by the train kind of thing so yeah it's certainly yeah it definitely is now as far as like from the business world because you do predominantly work with vegan business owners and entrepreneurs, which is really incredible, the work that you do. Is there any sort of takeaway from, say, the business and entrepreneurial side of things that maybe people that are just sort of new to this um, vegan journey or new to eating a plant exclusive diet, is there any thing that can be taken from the business world and translated into just everyday living as far as like maybe our messaging or uh, communication strategies? 
Um, I think really just conveying the positive side of this. So I think, as I mentioned earlier, not thinking of veganism or plant-based eating as a sacrifice. Um, so, you know, for example, when a, a vegan food brand um, creates, you know, comes into existence, one of the first things it does is establish, right, what's our brand? Um, you know, what are we going to put on our packaging to entice people? Because if you think about it, the parallels are when you go into a supermarket and you buy a product, that business or that company that's producing that product has you know or has or they certainly ought to have done um is done everything possible to make you you know pick their product off the shelf from amongst all the others um and so i guess you know we can certainly translate that in terms of general messaging when you're talking about veganism um, and plant-based eating make it as palatable as possible you know so don't complain go no oh, i had to give up this now i'm eating plant-based bit of a pain you know I mean? instead it's like oh guess what I'm now eating? Oh my gosh, I had no idea you could do this and that. And did you know you can still have, you know, you can have a raw, you know, plant-based pizza that's super healthy or, you know, you know what I mean? You get excited about it. Um, one of the things I think that a lot of people have said to me over the years is, you know, I've followed you, you know, either read your articles and then when social media came about, oh, I follow you on social, I see what you're doing. Um, and now I'm vegan. Um, and I think that's a mix of things. I think it's, a mix of two things. One, be mostly positive. I'd say probably the 80-20, there's an 80-20 rule in business. And um, I think if you can get 80% of the time, be really, really positive about veganism and plant-based eating. The other 20% educate people on what is going on in the uh, in animal agriculture, you know, the atrocities and terrible, terrible suffering, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, and cruelty that's going on. Um, so, you know, on your social media, you know, 80% of your posts are all, you know, really positive, maybe a recipe here or whatever works for you, just something really positive or perhaps you've got a health transformation, um, you know, or you visited an animal sanctuary. And then 20%, you know, the posts, you know, you put in some educational stuff about, hey, look, you know, this is what happens in the dairy industry and you've got maybe chicks being, you know, shredded alive which is one of the things that happens in the, the egg industry that most a lot of people just don't know about um so i think really it's um yeah just kind of positioning it as some be be the message you know i think when people if they see you you know kind of glowing and you know looking good or just excited and passionate about um life and and about being vegan you know that it creates a bit of fomo for the millennials fear of missing out for those of you aged over 30 if you don't know what that means i didn't i had to look <laughs> it up the definition. Right. <laughs> yeah so you know make, well i want some of that um you know so that you can influence if you're going to a party or a dinner party um you know take something with you you know take some a, an amazing delectable dessert you know and and wow people mm. i think a lot of people are, are again they're in fear they're kind of like they're either like oh that's going to taste awful if it's vegan so you can immediately get rid of those myths um and then of course you know if people what, what you want really is people like my chiropractor who i mentioned earlier who's actually asking questions and you can send them to resources you know so uh, you know particularly with him being a health practitioner he will have been you know, brainwashed into the whole, you've got to have meat for your protein. Um, you know, it's a way to educate people, but, in, but allow them to get curious. So my friend Claire Mann is a vegan psychologist and, you know, she's really great on the communication strategies. And she always says, you know, invite curiosity. So rather than preach, preach, preaching at people and then they just stop listening, you know, you actually want them to say, oh, tell me more um, kind of thing. So, yeah, so I think it's important for us as vegan advocates to, to work on ourselves, uh, you know, to do some personal personal development on ourselves, uh, extend and, um, our communication skills and strategies so that we can be the best advocates for, for veganism and also for, for plant-based eating. 
I think that's so wise. That's so awesome. And now, of course, you authored this amazing book, Vegan oh, Venture. Oh, it. <laughs> that's my book. <laughs> like three years ago, when I first started my business journey, this was the this was a lifesaver to me. This really oh, gave me so I'm much so glad. Insight. So thank you so much for putting this book out. It's fabulous. And I noticed that one of the main themes throughout the book here is helping uh, entrepreneurs and business owners decide whether to use vegan or whether to use plant-based in the way that they position their business. So maybe for our entrepreneurial-minded listeners, maybe you can give us some insights on a lot of the guests that helped you to, to write this book and, and strategize on that thought there. Yeah, absolutely. Look, it's a real kind of hot topic that's, that's yeah. debated quite a lot in the, the vegan and, the, and outside the, the vegan community as well. Um, I had a Forbes column for 12 months and I, had a, I wrote an article about it there, which you could, your readers, uh, listeners, sorry, can have a look at. Um, and as well, yeah, there's a chapter on it in the book. And I asked people on my show, my podcast, Vegan Business Talk, that question a lot of the time. And there's no right or wrong answer. It really depends on your brand, on, on your product and what you're trying to achieve as a, a business owner. So, for example, Miyoko Shina, who has, uh, creates amazing vegan dairy alternatives, butter and cheese, uh, Miyoko is all about vegan. Um, she's got a tattoo um, on her arm, um, say, with the word you know, vegan. Her branding is, you know, Miyoko's branding is phenomenally vegan. So on the product, the branding, the website, everything, the word vegan is just there. You cannot avoid it. Um, and that's because she wants to demystify the word and, and, um, and that's her mission. It's part of her brand mission. Um, she's also got an animal sanctuary uh, where she lives. So, you know, for her, vegan is, is the way to go. And that's great. And it seems to be working because I think a lot of her customers are not vegan. The word vegan certainly not putting them off. Now, with other um, businesses like um, Beyond Meat, for example, they've cho chosen to go with plant-based. So some people argue that, you know, plant-based, it kind of sounds a bit softer, you know, like it hasn't got all the baggage that comes with the word vegan. Um, the only thing with plant-based, and I think Miyoko did mention this when I interviewed her, is that some companies, like I think for me, plant-based means plant-exclusive. Like you mentioned the term plant-exclusive, 100% plant-based. But apparently some companies, some businesses are using plant-based to say it's just based on plants, but there could be some animal ingredients in it. Right. Um, so I think that's where you've got to be a little bit careful. But for some people, you know, like there's the Plant-Based Foods Association. Um, and I think they've named themselves well in some respects because they have members who are not just, who don't just sell um, plant-based only products. So obviously they've got members like Nyoko and Tofurky, for example, but they've also got, say, Campbell's Soup. I think Campbell's actually, which is a multinational company, they actually left their previous trade association, I believe, um, to join plant-based foods association. So they allow companies that are not plant, don't have plant exclusive products, but they do have, a, um, you know, products or brands under their parent company that are. So, you know, that makes sense. If you're a service provider, uh, you might not want to go with with vegan or you might. It depends. Like Claire, my man, who's my friend, who's a psychologist, she's got her Communicate 31 website, but then she's also got um, her website, Vegan Psychologist. So she's very, because she wants, you know, vegan, uh, she wants to help vegans. My partner, Tracy, is a clinical hypnotherapist, psychotherapist and naturopath. She doesn't use the word vegan anywhere on her website. And as a result, she gets, um, you know, she obviously is vegan and she, the whole business is run from a plant-based perspective, mm -hmm. but she gets sheep 
sheep farmers, cattle farmers come to see her for issue who wouldn't otherwise, you know, if they just went onto website and thought oh, she's vegan, I'm not going. But, you know, they come along to see her and depending on what their issue is, she's turned many, you know, a cattle farmer and sheep farmer onto a plant-based way of eating. So I think you've really got to make the decision of, uh, you know, regarding your own products, your own brand, your own aims, who your audience are. One person I interviewed was Heather Mills, who's an amazing British uh, female entrepreneur, has V-Bites. She uses both vegan and plant-based. When she's marketing to the vegan community, she uses vegan. But when she's marketing, you know, to the flexitarians, to the, you know, uh, pre-vegans, as we like to call them, uh, uh-huh. then she may use plant-based. So, um, yeah, I think it, there's no right or wrong answer. And I think it really just comes down to you your brand your mission and your audience who you're trying to sell to you know some people say oh no we almost must use you know the word vegan to demystify it but for me if you need to be a bit stealth about it in order to get people through the door and then kind of turn them vegan or you know leave them in down you know in, into this way of life hashtag then, eating like you give a damn yeah then <laughs> you know I, I, then then do that you know so yeah there's no right or wrong answer just um yeah, have a think about what, what's going to work for you. And some people have, have changed as well. Like I'd, when I've interviewed the book, interestingly, I think it was Georgie from Addiction Foods here in Australia said that initially um, she was using the word vegan, but then there was just, it, this was before it kind of gotten, you know, kind of more popular. Um, and, it, you know, there was, she got a lot of some hassle around it, whatever. So she decided to, I think, to change to plant-based or to, to phrase it slightly differently. But then there was a, a business in the UK who was also in the book um the 222 veggie vegan it was called um was it called 222 veggie vegan something like that but then they've changed it to 222 vegan cuisine so he went the opposite way he was kind of avoiding using vegan but now he's kind of like no we're going to use it so you can change you know and sometimes you might need to experiment obviously if you've got products it's going to depend on what you put in your packaging one of the things i recommend with actual if you've got a product with a say food product for example with an actual package you've got to decide how much you want to put on the front because sometimes if you put things like you know vegan or animal free or dairy free gluten free free from sugar you know sometimes people think oh, that might taste horrible so what you might do is just maybe lead with something on the front you might want to have vegan on the front or you might want to have it on the back in small letters i do recommend having it at least on the back in small letters so for the people who are looking for those labels um do you know we can just flip the product because vegan you know we've got eagle eyes you know we will flip over we'll look at the ingredients do you know what i, I mean to make, to make sure and if we see the word vegan there or the you know a vegan logo that's been you know approved by other vegan action in the u.s vegan society in the uk that immediately says to me good that the company has thought enough to put that on and i will often buy a product over another product like i might look at the ingredients and go well there's nothing animal based in there this probably is vegan but if another company same product they've actually got a little vegan you know either a vegan friendly or say one of those logos i'll think right i'm going to buy that because they've gone to the trouble of letting me know but we've got to remember that vegans at the moment we are you know we are not the majority of the population yet um so you know if you feel that you know putting it at the front of your product is you know might put your particular audience off you know then either use plant-based or you know just put it in small letters at the back so i think there's ways to do it where you can can kind of appeal to all the all the markets. Very good, very wise. Um, so as we start to come to a close, Katrina, which makes me incredibly sad because I hijack <laughs> you for the rest of your day and my <laughs> evening. Now that my sun is setting, <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> your sun is just rising over there. 
But uh, I know you have a fabulous mentorship course, Vegans in the Limelight, uh, in addition to your book, Vegan Ventures. So tell people where they can find that. Uh, tell them a little bit more about it, how they can work with you and, and where you are on social media. Yeah, sure. Um, so the best place to find me is on, is on my website, which is veganbusinessmedia.com. There's actually a lot of free resources on there as well. There's blog posts, there's my podcast, Vegan Business Talk, where I interview vegan entrepreneurs and we dive deep into their business strategies. So for anyone who's an aspiring or even existing uh, vegan entrepreneur, that's all free and it's very popular and people really like it. There's the book, as you've mentioned, and, and then I've created a program. It's, um, it's a 12-month online PR course and group coaching program called Vegans in the Limelight. It's basically for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs, and that includes service providers, it includes authors, typically nonfiction authors who are building a, a business around their book, um, creatives, uh, coaches, consultants, product manufacturers in, in whatever business. And what it is, it's a program for those who at the moment don't yet have the budget to hire a, a publicist. Because if you hire a PR agency or a publicist, that's quite a high investment. Um, I do a limited amount a very limited amount on a case-by-case -case basis of done-for-you PR services. Um, but otherwise, you know, it's quite an investment. And for, for some people, they're not ready for it or they're at a particular time in their business where they don't have the budget for it. And they say, okay, either I want to do it myself or I want someone on my team to do it, but they haven't got any experience in PR or how to approach the media the right way. Now, it's not rocket science, but there are ways to approach the media that are are going to maximize your opportunities of getting media coverage, which is free publicity. And then there are ways to get blacklisted and journalists hit the delete button. Obviously, you want to be in the former. Um, so basically, the, the course, it's uh, video training. Um, it's also got templates. So there are pitch templates where you can kind of like plug and play, fill in your own information. Um, a pitch is basically a short email to a journalist with an idea. There's the same thing, templates for press releases. So you can just plug and play, put your own information in. Throughout the 12 months, people can post questions on the learning platform. They can also post their pitches and their media releases on the platform before they send them to journalists. And what I do is I'll come in and give them a bit of feedback. So I don't do the PR for you. I don't do the writing for you. But it's like having somebody, you know, holding your hand along the way to say, you need to tweak this, change that, and do this before you send it off. We also have 12 monthly live group calls. So each month you can get on the group call. And again, we can either go through your proposed pitch or media release. On those group calls as well, we also do a more general profile building uh, tips. So for example, I was sometimes on the call, I will look at someone's LinkedIn profile or their website and say, right, you need to tweak this and tweak that to make it, um, you know, more uh, likely to get you customers and sales and also um, for media as well. So, um, yes, yeah, so you can find out about that. I also do one-on-one -on -one, um, coaching as well by the hour. And all of that's available, as I say, on the veganbusinessmedia.com website. People can sign up for the newsletter and you'll hear from me typically once a week with either the, what the latest podcast is or it might be some tips that I'm offering. Again, that's all free. And then if people want to work with me more closely, they can either do one-on-one, -on -one, enroll in Vegans in the Limelight. So, Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. I'll make sure all of those links are in the show notes for the listeners. Thank you. Katrina, it has been such a joy having you. Thank you so much for your insights and your inspiration. And uh, just really appreciate having you here on the podcast. 
Oh, it's been lovely having uh, being on the show, um, Stephanie. I know what it's like, particularly because I know you're just beginning the podcast, which is really exciting. And I know when I started my own podcast, I was really grateful for guests that would come on because, uh, you know, it, it's really great to get the conversation happening. So I love your passion. Um, I love what you're doing and you're, you know, reaching new audiences with this. So it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Oh, thank you, my love. <laughs> <laughs> That was Katrina Fox, award-winning journalist and founder of veganbusinessmedia.com. Be sure to check out the Vegan Business Talk podcast if you're a current or aspiring vegan entrepreneur. And if you're starting a vegan business venture or are currently a vegan entrepreneur in need of PR training, go to veganbusinessmedia.com and check out Katrina's course called Vegans in the Limelight. And don't forget to tell her you heard about it here on the Eating Like You Give a Damn podcast. Be sure to join our community of rebels in the Eating Like You Give a Damn Facebook group for vegan-friendly recipes and support. Request to join us at eatinglikeyougiveadamn.com forward slash group. If you want podcast updates so you see what's coming up and to see what I like to eat, follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Eating Like You Give a Damn. That's all, folks. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you like what you just heard, leave a glowing review and share this show with your friends so together we can help more people make more informed decisions. New episodes release every Monday. And until next time, veg on, Rebels. <laughs>